expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Here we are once again, episode 126 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where I don't know about you, Nick, but they have the Batman Telltale game, the Mr. Robot Telltale game. I think the next one should be Will Byers in the Upside Down. Yeah, that'd be great. Can you imagine just going in between like, hey, do you want to poke your head through the wall or not? Right, right. Like, do you want to save Barb or do you want to run away? Kind of. There's a lot of ways you can go with this. Or should... uh, should, do you want to go through which strand of Christmas lights do you want to go through? Each thing has a different monster at the end of each right, strand. Right, exactly. Do you want to respond to your mother or not? And then different things. I'm just saying. Just saying. Right. It would be very entertaining. That would be pretty interesting. Tell me you wouldn't spend 15, 20 bucks on that thing. Do you, do you want to give 11 your egos? Yes or no? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, make it $11. I'm James with him alongside... The man who's bleeding from his eyes because he didn't give Eleven his egos. Merkel one arm, Nick Pataglia. Yeah, that's probably not the best decision you've ever made. Man, you know, I'm hungry. Fuck that bitch. You know what the thing is, though? Is that it's regular egos, too. It's the home style. It's right. Not, it's not blueberry. It's only no fucking blueberry. It's not strawberry. This is home style, motherfucker. Get your own. Hey, but hey, I mean, you pour a little... No, even no syrup. She eats them like a savage, which I think is great. <laughs> yeah, like a fucking savage. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh. <laughs> right out of the box. Yeah. We're doing this. No toaster or nothing. You know what I used to do? Quick little tangent on Eggos for a little bit. I used to literally like not toast my Eggo, but leave it out for a little bit. Get like a little bit cold but to where it's near room temperature and eat it raw like that. So you would 11 your Eggo, basically. I would have. Or I would have. What I normally used to do is take two Eggo waffles, not toast them. Like I let them get around room temperature and throw some ice cream in the middle and make an ice cream sandwich. Okay, so yeah, I get that. I understand that. That's not a bad idea. Actually, what I used to do is... Something a little bit different. I would toast it, and then I would put the butter on there, and I would let the syrup, like, sit for a minute. So it starts to seep in, you know what I mean? But here's the question. Did, were you one of those people like I was, where you're very OCD, where every ounce has to get yes, every little yes, square? absolutely. It's one of those things. You know, remember those games that you used to have where you'd tilt them and the ball would go and you got to get through right. the maze? I would do that with the, with the plate and the egg and be like, okay. If it's not, I'm not putting any more syrup on this. Let's just tilt it and let's let it swirl and let's see what we can get. We got to get it all in there. Now, the butter's another story. You know, you do what you can with the butter, but because I mean, you don't want to Paula Dean yourself and, and put right. like a half a stick of butter on one ego. Right. Well, speaking of things that are sweet, one thing that's sweet is, of course, Kingsway West from Dark Horse Comics, where you're talking to the course, the writer of it, Greg Pock. And man, he's just done so many great things, and he's such an interesting dude. I can't wait to dive into this. I mean, because we're talking westerns, we're talking magic. I mean, you combine two things that you and I both love into one book. Right, exactly. Man, I love western, and of course he has that fantasy element in it, but the way that he puts the fantasy in there... It's like a sprinkling. It's not like full-fledged in there. We're talking about that, you know, how you kind of balance and mm-hmm. what can kind of cause 
the fantasy element to overtake a setting of a book and, and kind of, in a sense, ruin it. And which, in this case, it's really well done and it's really, really flows really, really, really well. Yeah, and if you're a fan of westerns, I mean, I know if you're anything like me, you search for a good one wherever you can. So I think we'll ask him about, you know, what makes a good western and stuff like that and how did you meld that into the story. I mean, it's just a really cool book if you haven't picked it up yet. You can get it at your local shops right now or digitally. And that's going to do it for our intro. But come up next. Guess what? We got two new comics this week. Find out what they are and what we're reading. This is writer James Asmus, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, everybody, it's time we pull out our long boxes as we do every week and discuss two new comics because it's time to discuss what we're reading. And James, we haven't really discussed a Valiant comic in a while, at least on the air. And something that we talked about off the air before we recorded was... The books that we're doing this week kind of feel like a new, well, they really, in a sense, are a new mm-hmm. beginning and a new kind of venture for these publishers this week. So the book I did was Valiance Generation Zero. Now, one thing I want to say before I dive into this book is, again, I love how Valiant says, you know what? We've done our Exo Man Wars. We've done our Bloodshots. Faith is doing her own ongoing thing. What else can we do? What other... You know, new things can we can we do to really excite our readership? And I'm gonna tell you right now, this series, it really, really is a great series. Now, the writer is Fred Van Lente, the artist is Francis Portella, the color art is done by Andrew Dollhouse, and the lettering is done by Dave Sharp. Now, here's the thing: is this has a very, as you mentioned again off the air, Stranger Things type of vibe because it kind of grabs certain aspects of nerd culture that you just love. Yeah, and it's got that young adult vibe too, but not to the point where if you're an adult, you can enjoy the book because even though it feels like it has a young adult vibe, it's not really a young adult book, but it deals with young adults. Yeah, and of course one of the young adults is Keisha, and she is this punk person who in a sense is kind of like not hunting down, but kind of like she knows, like, hey, there's these, there's these things called zeros, and they're like these mutant kids, and there's these people who are born with incredible abilities, so they're got to be out there. How can I make contact with them? So pretty much the whole first issue sets with her trying to make contact with these zeros, and of course, a lot of this and a lot of the darkness that's spread around her town is pretty much caused by the death of her boyfriend, and Here's the thing is that when I was reading this, I was just really taken back by how this is a very YA right you know written book, but it didn't feel like that. No. These characters had a certain edge to them to where you know you I wasn't reading this like okay, is this for a younger crowd? I was reading this and it was like, okay, this girl's very interesting and they don't really give a certain reason as to why she's kind of searching for these people more than just they're out there. I want to see if there's, there's a myth, if it's real and stuff like that. And it's pretty cool seeing that myth kind of come to light in this. Not only that, but I mean, there's there's such a system of a class structure, literally and figuratively, that's going on in this book where, you know, everybody's got their own little group and they spotlight that. And for Keisha, it's almost like this is where I belong until I found this person. And now I feel like I belong even more kind of thing until that's taken away. Well, not just that, but I got a little bit of a different vibe when I was reading the whole high school aspect of it when she's talking about different groups. I felt like she mentioned how her group was like the punk kind of group. It's kind of like we're seeing like in high schools nowadays where everybody, I mean, it's still very clicky, but a lot of people are now more preppy 
And kind of like, you know, when I was in high school, you know, you had the goths and the punks, and they were kind of going away. So it's kind of like, you know, in, in a sense, Keisha's story is her own people in terms of punks and kind of goths are going away in a sense, and they're being overpowered. And then these zeros are kind of like that rebirth of her people in a sense, because they're different. They're, they're, you know, people with abilities. You know, Keisha doesn't have an ability, but they're people who are seen differently from the the you know, regular world per se. Yeah. And that's how she feels. I think she feels different and to be, to seek out other people that are different to help her with the thing that she has going on that she needs help with. And it's kind of like a lottery system. You know, you go in, you kind of, I guess, tweet your case or plead your case and then use the hashtag and they somehow see it and decide whether or not they want to help you. And you don't know when they're coming kind of thing or what right. they're going to do. So it's a very, very interesting concept. And we don't really know that much about the zeros in this issue. Now you you think you you hear that and you think, well, it's called Generation Zero, so you don't hear about the zeros. That's bad. It's really not. Right? No, it's agree? not. Yeah, it's it's not bad because again, the way they're introducing this is very very cool, and the art, by you know the way they showcase some of their gifts in this. Oh yeah, the art is just amazingly detailed and clean and well done and. You know, we really get to see their abilities in full form and, and how and why they perform those abilities in this issue is really, really awesome. Absolutely. I mean, it's just such a gorgeous way to, I mean, Valiant usually has pretty good luck with amazing art. I mean, we've reviewed books in the past where Exo Man of War, the art's been good. Bloodshots, the art's, the art's been good. When you get these new series, you always wonder what it's going to be like, right? Because you're not going to pull anybody off of those books. And it just seems like Valiant finds a way to find such good pencilers, anchors, and colorists to bring the story that they need brought to life to life. And that's what I want to say, too, before we move on to what you read this week, is the colors. Because the colors really do pop in this. And that's one thing I love seeing in comics now. I think it's kind of a lost art form, in a sense, uh, is the use of colors mostly in, like, in the background. And not like, oh, what the characters are wearing, but just... Look around the backgrounds, and there's right. like red, and there's red lights and blue lights and purple and greens, and they meld really well, and they add kind of to that feel, like when you're in an arcade and you're at a concert, and they just, it feels like something like, oh my god, this is something I've been wanting and haven't had in a long time. It's kind of like when you go on a diet, and then you have that first spoonful of ice cream, and like all your senses are just like awoken, and you're like. Oh my god, I've missed this so much. Right, exactly. <laughs> Go right for the deep deep fried Twinkie. Just dive right in. Exactly. So what did you do this week, sir? You actually actually you know, I know what you did this week. You started a revolution. That's right. And we've been waiting for this for a long time. We got a nice little peek at it at San Diego Comic Con. It's IDW's Revolution bringing the Hasbro universe all together, and it's written, this Zero issue is written by John Barber, of course, he'll be joined by Colin Bunn once Revolution starts, art by Frisco Assisio, colors by Sebastian Chang, and letters by Tom B. Long. Now, I just want to preface this by saying, first of all, this was a free comic, it might still be available at uh, idwpublishing.com, we'll put it up on our website as well, and you can grab this for free, and Revolution starts in, actually starts in September, so this kind of gives you a prelude of what you can look like, look at. And you want to talk about art, man alive. The art is fantastic. I mean, you just look at the, I mean, you just look at the cover art and it's just blows you away with just the detail of it. And, and again, when you're dealing with a comic that has a lot of moving characters and a lot of moving pieces, getting all of them, being able to, 
put all of them in one panel, at least one one cover, and not look messy and not look cluttered is a great, great job by the artists. Right, exactly. And not to mention, I mean, you're melding all these worlds together. So now you have one artist working on all of these Hasbro properties as to when they're spread out in their own books. You've got different artists, of course, different writers working on it and stuff like that. But everybody is drawn absolutely perfectly. It's it's unbelievable. And even the like the emotions, of course, Scarlet is uh, one of the G.I. Joes that are in this issue. And you just see her and the raw emotion in her face when they're discussing what they're discussing. Uh, with actually the namesake of G.I. Joe is in this book as well, which I thought was really cool. But they're talking to someone in this book, and we don't find out who it is until the end. But one of the themes of this book, and what kind of makes you feel like when you're reading it, is that they think, and they certainly make the Transformers out to be total assholes. Well, yeah, and and that's something we said during our San Diego Comic-Con episode, where we were, you know, of course, covering the IDW panel, and we were talking about this, and then you and I were discussing, we're like, everything they've been saying in the panels, and just something that we just can get a a gist for, if you've, of course, if you've, something, things you've read, like ROM and stuff like that, yeah, the Transformers, they're gonna be the total bad guys here, which I think is a great thing, though. That's the funny thing, though, it's it's almost like when I read this, I was like, okay, are they? Because it seems like they are, but then at the same time, it's like, is this just how they feel? Is this like a xenophobic kind of type of deal mm-hmm. that they're the aliens and they've come down and they're saying they're going to help us, but we don't think they are? Well, so I don't know if it's that or if they actually are going to end up being the, the the bad guys here. Well, I think it's more of fear. I think it's a lot more based in fear, whereas you have these giant robots that come off from outer space and they say we're here to help you, but every time they help, they cause a lot of destruction. Right, and, and they death. lay the groundwork for that too. Right, this revolution issue, and I think that that is absolutely part of it. And we do get winks and nods to other. You know, they've got they bring Action Man in. They talk about Action Man. They talk about uh, they don't really talk about Rom much, which I thought was interesting. And we don't get a whole lot on the Micronauts either. So it's very much centered around the Joes, the Transformers, and. The person you see at the end, I don't, I can't spoil it. I know it's a free comic. <laughs> I can't spoil it for anybody that hasn't read it yet. When you see who this is at the end, and of course there's only one more property I haven't mentioned here. So when you see who it is at the end, you're like, I can't believe the Joes are talking to this dude. And then what you see on the very last page is something that Nick and I discussed on a preview show, and it looks like we might end up being right about that. Exactly. I just want to say the first page of the book, like when it has all the dialogue, the guys, when they're in their little cars, they look like, I felt, I'm like, oh, it's like Shriners when they're in their little tiny cars. <laughs> or like the uh, the banana splits there with the tiny right. little cars. Except a lot more hardcore. So, but I mean, you, you just look at the art and it's it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. And the story that it looks like they're getting ready to tell in September, if it doesn't grab you, I mean, I don't know what else you really want. And then at the back of the book, they've got the little checklist. So everything's started in July. So if you haven't read Action Man or Micronauts or ROM or anything like that, you're probably going to want to go back and and read some of this stuff before September because I don't think it's going to be absolutely necessary, but I think it will help you better understand the story that they're getting ready to tell. Exactly. So what would you give this book? I mean, I know I didn't give my rating for for mine, but I'll say this. Mine was a poll this week, so what was yours? I'm going to go ahead and do the same exact thing. I'm going to say it's a poll because 
Honestly, man, I mean, I was excited about them bringing these worlds together anyway because, you know, this is my childhood we're talking about here. And, you know, you kind of wonder what it'd be like if, you know, your action figure days where you're playing with your action figures and you have the Transformers and the G.I. Joes there. What would it be like if that actually happened on the screen or, or on the page? And now it's it's really happening. You know, now it's for real. And now that we see a little piece of it in, in comic book form, you say to yourself, this is actually going to work. So that big weight gets lifted off your shoulders, especially visually. And I mean, Cullen Bunn's not even involved in the revolution titles yet. And the writing was already spot on. So, I mean, you had another great writer like that and you put everybody into the pool. I can't wait for what revolution has coming. And that's going to do it for this week and what we're reading. But coming up next, we're going to be diving into the Amazon with a review of the tick. This is Carlos Magno, and you're listening to the Down and the Nerdy Podcast. Well, with all the superhero movies and TV shows that are coming out, it was time for a little bit of satire, and now it's time to find out, Nick, what we thought of the Amazon pilot of the Tick reboot. Yeah, of course, this is years after the whole Patrick Warburton Tick series, which I loved. I thought it was great, because I think one thing about the original series that I liked a lot was, of course, you can tell it was a very low-budget show Mm -hmm. but i think again as you mentioned in the opening that it's whole concept of tick is just satire and it's just i and that's what i liked about it and this version of tick i'm not gonna lie it's still satire but it's just a lot darker than i expected it to be yeah i mean we were talking about this off the air arthur who's one of the characters on the show is not the he's not the tick but he's I don't know if you can call him a sidekick. No, he's a sidekick. So, okay, let's call him a sidekick. By the way, spoiler filled, just in case you didn't know, because this <laughs> is a review. Um, no, his origin, we were talking about this off the air, is kind of like the worst origin you could possibly have. Right, and in terms of, I mean, by saying worst origin, we don't mean like, oh, it's just terrible. It's yeah, like, it's no. It's stupid. It's, it's like, traumatic. Yeah. It's, 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 and what it is is, and, I don't know if they did this in the past shows. I can't remember, but about Arthur's origin, but it's his dad and him are sitting in like this ice cream shop, and he's flying on you know, his little toy ship. Like, oh, I'm gonna be one one day. Dad goes to put money in the meter. The ship that he the, that Arthur was like playing with, the actual sized version, crashes down and kills his father. Like, it not crushes only that, him. not only that, those heroes that he admired all die. Yeah. Right in front of him. Right. So. And they, get, and they get blinded with, what was it? It was like space syphilis or something yeah, like that? Yeah, something like that. Where it it like, them, a creative name. Well, it caused them to go blind, pretty much. And yeah, they get shot in the head right in front of him. And one guy gets his arm broken or his hands crushed in front of him. And so it causes Arthur. I kind of like this a little bit. It caused him to be a little, not really so stalkerish, but really a, kind a of. <laughs> well, not no, I'm talking more like conspiracy theorist more type. He's not like he's stalking a woman or anything like that. He's more conspiracy theory. He's got the whole, as you said, is there, there's no way to to make a, a web of string or web of photos and make it look sane. Make it, yeah. you know. You're kind of off your rocker there if you're doing stuff like that. And his was epic. Yeah. I mean, it was, he's more than a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. He He's very much a conspiracy theorist, but he's got his sights set on the guy that's basically responsible for killing his dad and the heroes that he loved. So of course the terror, the terror of course played by Jackie Earl Haley, who I saw, you know, the makeup and everything. I'm like, I look at the, the IMDb. I'm like, wait, Jackie Earl Hurley is, 
Is the uh, I did terror? the same thing. Yeah, I, like he did not look like him at all. That's not really good all. makeup. Yeah, I mean, for, especially for I mean, I know it's Amazon and they've got cash, but the the way that they did that, I th- I was pretty impressed. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, but but again, uh, once we finally do see the tick on Arthur's little uh, fishing expedition there. I got to be honest. Well, while I knew it wouldn't be probably anything like Patrick Warburton's character, I kind of liked the dumb, impatient version of this tick. Yeah, of course, Peter Serafinowicz is playing the tick in this series, and he did. A, I think he did a really good job. And again, this is one of the things about the tick is you have to understand, as you said in the opening. This is complete and utter satire. There's going to be a lot of things this that don't make sense, that are going to be dumb, but they're dumb for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just seeing the tick on screen, you know, jumping in and how he's, like, kind of, you know, getting shot at, and he's, like, flicking people, like, with a finger, kind of, and they're going flying in the air. Like, I kind of liked that. I was laughing. And just the things he was saying, like, when you want to hear somebody who thinks they're a superhero, like, really thinks, and there's no yeah. way in hell that they think they're not. I mean, the Tick is one of those rare characters that we never see outside the suit. No. And his whole mentality is the reason for it, and it worked in this. I think it really worked in this. I actually really liked their dynamic Arthur and the Tick because right. Arthur that it was like almost it's in a weird way it was like Arthur Arthur was made sane by the Tick because the Tick was such an idiot and he was kind of crazy himself. I'll be honest, dude. When they're in his apartment and the Tick's laying in his bed and they get they do the whole you know we're bound together kind of thing. When he just knocks over that lamp, right? I lost it. Or when the Tick is like, he, this is how dumb the Tick is. He's going through Arthur's apartment and he thinks like. He sees like a, a candlestick or whatever like that. Yep. And he thinks it's like, oh, this is where your secret, you know, hideout is. And he pulls it and he breaks, you know, a, a coat rack off and yep. he breaks, you know, he knocks over shit. And it's just, it's great. Like this is a guy. The Tick is one of those characters where he takes things literally, and it was clearly uh, being shown in this episode. And I just want to say that when it comes to the writing of the show. I think they really captured that nature of the tick really well. And again, you have Arthur where in this one compared to the older series, he's a lot more, I think, again, he has his, his issues, but I think this is really the Arthur we're seeing where he's getting more pulled into fighting alongside the tick. And it's just yeah. kind of like, you know, the whole thing with the suit, like when he puts the suit on for the first time, I'm like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Like it's a cool updated version of the suit. And, He's one of those things where it's kind of like, yeah, he's a bit unstable. I mean, he's on a lot of medication for various and obvious reasons. Which he wasn't taking at the time. Right. But now you're seeing that you can kind of sympathize with him because he was more of he wanted to see if the terror was still there and stuff like that. But the thing is, is he's getting really brought into the more fighting aspect of it that he doesn't want to really be a part of. He wants to be more of the, I want to, you know, discover and do some investigation. But the tick comes along and he's like, we're going to fight side by side. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the evildoers have their hands way up everybody's puppets. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, like I was laughing when he's given that big speech at the top of the building. That was and, and he's just. I'm just like, it's just so cheesy, but funny at the same time. Yeah, I'm going to have to be the buzzkill a little bit here, though. I've got to point out something that I thought was a little bit like, really? Like, when he gets arrested, okay, and, you know, they go through the whole process and they find out who he is, they decide to release him to his legal guardian, which is his sister, who we see earlier on in the episode. So his sister picks him up 
after he's basically the equivalent of falling off the wagon for him. Right. And she just lets him go back to his apartment by himself and just kind of continue to to do his thing. I'm like, really? He just basically lost it, and you talk about, oh, we're going to have to go back to square one, blah, 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 and then you just send him back up to his apartment by himself? Really? Well, part of me, I mean, I I would like to, I think that the reason why they did that was because that's going to be, I think, something going towards the season where she's going to, like, you know, find her way into his apartment maybe when he's not there and see all the, you know, papers on the wall and just the pictures and everything else like that. And then that's going to kind of cause that mid-season conflict. I like that they didn't do that in the beginning because I think that would have been too easy. It was like, okay, you fall off the wagon. Oh, Arthur, what's going on here? Da, da, da. They handled it really well, I thought. Actually, by letting him go into his apartment, what's the first thing he does when he goes into his apartment? He takes his meds. Exactly. And that's a way of grounding him until the very next day when the tick shows up literally in his bed. And that's when things start to fall apart a little bit. I will say, I think it would have been really funny if she took him back to her apartment, house, whatever, and the tick shows up in that bed, in the spare bedroom. And he has to kind of like keep it quiet kind of thing. I think that would have been interesting. Yeah, but again, that's something I think we've seen a lot of, though, in shows. I liked it because, remember, this is the first episode is trying to build that dynamic between Tick and Arthur and just that weird relationship they kind of have where Tick is this, you know, loose cannon, very crazy hero. And Arthur's tr- Arthur, even though he's very flawed mentally, uh, is his way of grounding Tick. Well, and, he's flawed mentally, but that doesn't mean he's wrong either. No. And you know, that's the other thing. Yeah, and I just want to say that, you know, seeing this, there are certain avenues I think a lot of people like yourself are going to say they should have done this and that. But again, I look at it as a way of that would have been too easy and you have a whole season to work with. Uh, they, though? Because remember, Amazon Pilots, you have to vote on these. And this show might not get picked up. I think it'll get picked up. I don't. Th- I, I think it's going to get picked up because I think everybody's going the superhero route. Everybody needs something, so I think you know, every Amazon is their way of breaking into it. And it's not a bad show, as I said off the air with you. I said this is a show where you're not going to watch it where you know, when Arrow's going on Gotham and Flash or in season swing. This is a show you watch now when everything's on hiatus or getting ready to come back. And you watch the show because it's a good, I think, filler show for that time period. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think you're going to be expecting anything gigantic or any big moments from the show. I think you have to really, really take it for what it is. And you're either a fan of satire or you're not. And if you're really not, then you're probably not going to like the show. But if you are or if you're just looking for a way to poke fun of the basically just glutton of superhero stuff that's out there right now, then... I mean, you're probably really going to enjoy this show. And one thing I really want to say before we get to our ratings, I want to mention everybody was kind of, when the photos first came out of the tech himself, people were kind of like, oh my God, the suit looks horrible. It works for what it's in. Like, you know, you're not expecting this high tech tick suit. His suit was never high tech anyways. I do like, however, that his antenna actually move on their own like yeah. it did in the old Warburton uh, show. And I believe it did in the cartoon as well. But I like that. It's just the simple things you I admire about that suit. If you ha- if you're gonna nitpick the suit, this show isn't for you because right. the suit is a byproduct of the show and the satirical nature of the show. If he came out in this high tech, you know, high dollar type suit, 
then it ruins the entire the entire right. point of the show. I think so. Right. I mean, it's literally it's supposed to be a suit that looks like somebody made, and it does because it looks nothing more than just. It looks like he spandex. painted it on. Yeah. Basically. Like, yeah. Pretty much. It's like you know, he has like, it looks like he had like a spandex suit. He just painted it blue and just yeah. added like a top to it. But with that, man, let's give our ratings on this. And uh, do you want to go first or want me to go first? I'll let you go first. Okay. Well, as I said, when I first watched this show, a little part of me was kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. But then there was some humor that came along with it. I found myself chuckling at this. Uh, I think that what they're doing with Terror, I think he's going to be kind of a really funny villain, the way Jackie Earl Haley is going to be playing him. Uh, the chemistry between Griffith and Griffin Newman, who plays Arthur, and Peter Safranowitz, who plays the Tick, I think is really, really special. I think it's actually pretty cool, again, because even though Arthur has his mental capabilities, he is actually sort of a ground for the Tick and is that kind of opposite, in a sense. Uh, I'm going to give this... An 8 out of 10 spoons. All right. Um, I'll play off of something that you said in that you say he grounds the tick. I think that it's very much the other way around, too. I think he brings sanity to Arthur when he's left to his own devices. He That's when he starts to kind of lose it and really becomes the conspiracy theorist. Again, not that he's wrong, but I'm sure we'll see that, you know, the terror is really back and all that stuff. And he'll be vindicated and he's not crazy after all, but he's still crazy kind of thing. Uh, I do love their dynamic. I think that's really cool. Do I think the show is hilarious? No. Is this a show that I'm going to be sitting like, oh, I can't wait for episode two, or if it was all of them are available, would I binge the whole thing in a day or two? Probably not. I'd go back to it every now and then. I'd catch a couple episodes here, catch a couple episodes there. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. I do think this is kind of a nice break. It's like when you're looking at your pull box for your comics, and you're like, okay, I've got superhero, 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 and every now and then you just need to read a different type of story. And I think... That's what the tick is. So I'm going to give this seven creepy newspaper boards out of ten. Yeah, and, and one quick thing too is I'm going to be interested in seeing – I think this thing is going to get at least ten to twelve episodes on Amazon. I'm interested in seeing the dynamic between Tick, Arthur, and Superion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be pretty interesting. You know, when – if the terror is back, Superion is supposed to have, you know, killed the terror, but if yep. the terror is back – how is that going to, you know, affect Arthur's viewpoint of Superior and even the world's view of him? But that's going to be pretty interesting uh, going forward if they do get a full season. But again, we'll see. What if Superior is working with the Terror? Ooh, that's pretty interesting. Possibility. That's, that's, that's a possibility. But that's going to do it for our review of The Tick from Amazon. We'll come next. We have a lot of nerd news. And, well, let's just say that James just had the biggest orgasm of his life yesterday. This is comic book creator Brian Bucciolato, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, everybody, it's time to grab your spell books and your pack of cigarettes, because it's time to go on the internet and see what's trending, James, because it's time for what? Nerd News! And as I teased in the last segment, James had the biggest orgasm of his life, James Go ahead. Well, the reason that I'm so excited is because we finally know it's happening. The Justice League Dark, a.k.a. Dark Universe movie, is actually going to happen. And how do we know this? Because we have Doug Lyman has signed on to direct this movie. Exactly. Of course, Doug Lyman was originally put on the Gambit movie to direct. Now he leaves Gambit. So that means, guess what, Gambit? has gone through, I think, two or three directors now. It's a dumpster fire. Yeah. They, yeah. They, need to, they need to stop. 
Yeah, there's but, a reason they keep losing directors, but I, I I digress. But I think when you look at the background of who is going to be on this production team, I mean Guillermo del Toro is still staying on as producer. They also hired a guy I can't think of his name, but he's also won an Oscar, a couple Oscars for producing as well. So they pretty much have an all star cast now. I don't know if you've seen Lyman's last film, you know, which of course was the Edge of Tomorrow, and it was actually based off the graphic novel All You Need Is mm-hmm. Kill. He's really a great action director, and then when you add in that Guillermo del Toro element of that kind of, you know, monster-esque thing and that element, it's going to be pretty interesting. And I think right. that Guillermo del Toro not directing this, I think him being a producer, is going to allow this movie to actually get some footwork in and actually get a cast built and, and get things rolling on this production. Right, and while we know that Guillermo del Toro is fantastic with the horror genre, the action part, not so much. So that's why I'm glad they've got somebody like Lyman on board who also did the first Bourne movie, The Bourne Identity, too, who's the director right. of that as well. So, I mean, as far as action goes, I'm not worried about this at all. By the way, this was all reported by Variety. You want to give them credit there. But, I mean, if as long as they have, as far as characters go, you got Constantine, you got to have him in there, you have to have Zatanna in there. You have to have Dead Man in there. Those are right. my those are my three must haves. Obviously, Swamp Thing. You know they've had the rumor about. What do you think about that rumor, Ron Perlman? I know we don't discuss rumors a whole lot, but this one's interesting to me. I think it'd be interesting to see Ron Perlman in Swamp Thing. I think that again, he's close. I believe with uh, Del Toro, and so well, he is close to Del Toro. He worked on Hellboy with him, so. I think that that'd be a pretty interesting choice. I think he'd be better off though. I think. As the demon, not the not the the uh, demon's human form. I think if you have him as a demon himself, yeah. that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, or at least the voice or something like that. I mean, yeah, I that, that's that, why I'm at his voiceover work is is off the charts. And uh, I was actually talking to our buddy artist Eric Donovan about this uh, on on Facebook, and he he endorsed Perlman. He's a big Swamp Thing guy. But we were talking about Constantine. I want to see what you think about this, because I have a little bit of a theory here. Now, we know that Colin Farrell is working on Fantastic Beasts with Warner Brothers, correct? Correct. So, Justice League Dark is going to be done by Warner Brothers. And you know how Warner Brothers loves to cast their own. So, if Colin Farrell is any good at all in Fantastic Beasts, I wouldn't be surprised if they cast him as Constantine. Hmm... I mean, I, my first thought, of course, is you always want Matt Ryan to play Constantine. Oh, obviously. I know, that To me, that goes without saying, but let's say it so nobody kills us on Twitter. Obviously, we all want Matt Ryan. Right. And the reason why I think, here's why I think Matt Ryan, and this could be me just being a hopeful fan, but here's why, and I'll get to your thing in a Usually second. Usually, I'm the hopeful fan. This is fun. But I want, well, my thing is, my hope, my reason why I think Matt Ryan will be Constantine in the movie is because he's already played him on NBC television in live action. He's voicing him in the new animated movie for Justice League Dark. So why not bring it full circle? You know, you have this guy who everybody, all the fans are clamoring for him to be Constantine. He's a great Constantine. Why would you want to, I understand that some actors have ties to certain producers and directors, but why would you want to mess up, especially with the DCEU, why would you want to mess up this kind of love Thing the fans have with Constantine, especially because of the way Matt Ryan portrays him. That is true, but you realize that if they do that, that would be unprecedented because he would be the first one to go from the TV universe 
to the cinematic universe, and that's going to open up a whole ball of wax on social media about people speculating as to whether or not that's going to start happening now and all that stuff. So well, they might avoid it just because of that. Well, no, here's why. Because Ezra Miller pretty much said I said that Grant Gustin's Flash and his Flash are going to meet. So they're breaking down that barrier. So you break that barrier, you can bring in Constantine yeah, into that Yeah, but that, that was cold. Ezra Miller breaking the barrier. If it's Jeff Johns breaking the barrier then I'll think it's actually going to happen. But for either now, way, though, I, mean, I, th- I think it will happen eventually, but I wouldn't hold out too much hope for that anytime soon. But either way, though, I think that if... My thing is, if you're going to have... like Even if it's a quick two seconds, if you're going to have like an Ezra Millionaire or whoever, that right there shows, okay, we can bring them into this DCEU. Oh, I'm not going to lie. If it happens, I'll lose it. Right, yeah. right. Now, I, I'll say this to, to kind of answer your question about Colin Farrell okay i guess i don't know i'm not the biggest colin farrell fan man i didn't like him in true detective i did you know i didn't like him in daredevil i didn't like him in a lot of things well, i'm gonna preface this by saying it's not that i want him it's that it's it's a theory but again is it more of just because of how he sounds like is it because of he has that accent that you would think about him well let's face it him? he's kind of a douche yeah wouldn't that, but... wouldn't that almost work I don't know, man. It's kind of, it's just hard when you've seen Wouldn't Matt Wouldn't he Ryan play himself him. kind of thing? <laughs> but it's just tough, though, man. I mean... I realize God. that. I want Matt Ryan, too. I just... I, 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 I hope against hope that that happens. But I've been hoping against hope for season two of Constantine on TV. And that's not happening. Maybe now we know why. And we know he's going to be amazing in the animated movie. I just don't see them doing that. I think they've got hang-ups about that. I think they need to let that go, but... Uh, I, I I hope it does happen. I really, really do. Yeah, I really hope it does as well. Now, moving on from DC to Marvel, Marvel Studios actually narrowed down the director's search to three candidates, of course, for Captain Marvel. This, is, of course, is according to The Hollywood Reporter. The three directors that have made it into the studio's shortlist, Nikki Caro, Leslie Linka-Gladder, and Lorena Scafaria. Now, here's what I'll say. Now, of course, he cast Brie Larson to play Captain Marvel. If I'm looking at these three women who I want to just look at the credentials and what they've done and the, looking at the way Marvel has hired their directors, especially I'm looking at the Russo brothers coming from TV and I'm looking at what they've done in the past. Uh, Leslie Linka Gladder, I think would be a great choice because she has, you know, she worked on freaks and geeks. She worked on a couple other nerd properties. She's Homeland, worked on a lot of, of course, yeah. Homeland. Uh, she's worked in television as a lot on television and compared to the other directors, nothing against them, but just the things that I think Gladder put out, I think it's better than what I've seen. Of course, Scafari doesn't really have, I believe, much of a no. resume. She's actually, I think, one of the mystery candidates, which I think they might go with her as well because there's a lot of mystery and they want – and Marvel's mostly known for, like, giving people that chance they need. You know what I'm saying? So maybe they're looking like, you know, somebody like a, a, a Caro and say, well, you've done a couple of big movies, big budget films before, or at least movies that have been on the big screen at least. You, so we want to kind of give it to somebody who is maybe more unproven. Yeah. I mean, you look at the – Women that she's worked with and the roles that she's worked with the men with Charlize Theron in North North Country and then Jessica Chastain in McFarlane USA. And those were pretty critically acclaimed performances and strong women and all that stuff. And I think that if you need a strong woman in the MCU, it's Captain Marvel. I mean, they have to get this right. So maybe that's a little bit too much on the serious side. But, I mean, 
if you want somebody that, as a female character, that you feel can stand stand alongside Steve Rogers like she does often in the comics, it's like the head of the Avengers kind of thing, you're going to have to make sure you get that strength put out there. Yeah, the thing with Carol, though, is that McFarlane USA was not really like the best movie. And yeah, you say, well, she worked with this actress and this actress. That's cool. But the thing is, those actresses were like great actresses already. So it's kind of like one of these things where how much of it was the actress? Now, I'm not trying to, you know, bring her down, but it's just like when you when you have a Charlize Theron or, you know, Jessica Chastain, it's kind of makes the job a little bit easier. And I mean, that's first for any director when you work with uh, great actors the the big thing is I want to see her work with somebody who's more of an unknown, and then that's what will you know make me I think be a little bit more at ease. But I look, I look at like I said, I look at you know things with uh, with Gladder and what she's done on other shows and, and television, just her deep background with that. I think it serves more for what they want to do. Like, like so, when I saw the Freaks and Geeks credit in there too. I think that that kind of I think sold it for me as well. Well, I mean, but think about that, though. And I know Freaks and Geeks has a cult following and people do love it. You have to think about it, though. What's the tenor that they want for this for this movie? Right. Do you want to make it more serious or do you want to make it a little bit more, you know, like But again, she has that mix because she's worked on Homeland. She's worked on like ER and she's also worked on Freaks and Geeks. So she has a good array of things that she's worked on. You know, I think I think just looking at the resume, I think hers is better than, than a lot than the other two, really. And I would pick her. Yeah, I mean, I think that if they go with either one of those, they'd probably be okay. I think by the choice that they make, it will tell us what kind of a Captain Marvel movie we're going to get. Exactly. That's going to be pretty interesting to see as well. But something that's pretty interesting, too, is, you know, we're both nerds here on the show. It's, of course, why we do the show. But we also have a very deep fascination in our hearts for NASA. And so NASA and Star Trek are actually teaming up, James. Yeah, actually, it's really cool because they're going to have this uh, Star Trek 50th anniversary celebration, Star Trek Mission to New York, celebrating the 50th anniversary. It's actually going to be Labor Day weekend, so it's going to be coming up real soon, and they're actually going to have Trek Talk, which is going to be five uh, five kind of, I guess we'll call them panels, lectures, yeah. whatever you want to call them, that are going to be part of a three-day convention. And i got to tell you, you look at some of the titles and what they're going to talk about, and you always think of how they would pay, you know, how Star Trek's influenced technology and everything and space travel going forward. We've seen some of that in the modern day, but some of these titles look really interesting to me. Yeah, of course, you have Ugly Bags of Mostly Water. What Will Aliens Really Be Like? That's going to be September 3rd. Um, you're also going to be having First Contact, Looking for Life in the Universe, and I guess there's a couple other things as well, like you know, uh, going to space and stuff like that, and searching through space. My thing is with this, is this pretty interesting, is, is how fascinating is it to know that something like Star Trek can that's built on discovery and you know finding new species and planets how nasa looks at this as a serious thing you know they're saying hey let's team up and let's have these discussions it's pretty interesting well it's funny because nasa's always been that one part of the government that was like hey we don't shy away from this kind of stuff you they're know, the we're one gonna, piece... we're gonna be the cool part of the government yeah they're the one part of the government that actually has an imagination <laughs> yeah exactly and then of course they get their funding cut and it's like oh come on i thought we were cool here yeah <laughs> so i mean i i do think it's great that they're 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 getting involved in this of course we saw them at awesome con as well they had a booth at awesome con they had a couple big displays up there as well so i i uh, credit Awesome Con for bringing a little science into a con that we don't really see very often. 
So I, I like that they're getting out there and doing this, and I think Star Trek, especially with it being the 50th anniversary, is the perfect way. I know that I think it was History Channel a few years ago, several years ago, did uh, the Science of Star Trek or Trek Tech or something like that, where they broke down stuff that's you know being integrated into society now that's from the Star Trek world, or could this happen kind of thing. And I think we'll get some of that in these discussions too. It's like, okay, so for the things that aren't already kind of there what can we expect to be coming in the future sort of thing. Exactly. And going on to our final story, dude. Well, you know, we love, we talked about a little bit Nintendo last week in terms of running track and the power pad and everything else, but we look at this week in terms of Nintendo in terms of manga. And because I say that because Viz Media has announced plans to, of course, re-release the long out-of-print manga adaptation of Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Yeah, and this is something fans have actually been clamoring for. I mean, if you look on social media, if you look on, like, even eBay, people are paying a pretty good amount to get this out-of-print series. So, I, mean, I mean, from what I've seen, I didn't read the whole thing, but I've seen bits and pieces. I mean, it's been pretty good. And, I mean, if you're looking for more Legends of Z- Legend of Zelda stories, that was pretty much where you had to go because Nintendo wasn't pumping any of them out. So, I mean, I think it's great that they're going to finally bring this back, and I think it's only, ma- I think it's, you know, it's about time, and even Dark Horse is getting ready to release the uh, art of The Legend of Zelda, they're doing another art book for them, so everything's coming up Zelda right now. <laughs> it's like Millhouse. <laughs> everything's coming up Zelda! <laughs> everything's coming up Link! <laughs> <laughs> but I, I look at this, man, again, the first, you know, English edition was released in 2008, and this is just sold out everywhere, so this got me thinking... If we were to have some comics or manga of other Nintendo characters, who would you like to see your other properties or video game properties, I should say? Who would you like to see? And I actually have two ideas. Okay. I would like to see either a Metroid series mm-hmm. or Galaga. I, I, ha- I was on the Metroid train. I would love to see that. I mean, I, I'm th- maybe they've done that in the past, and I just missed it because it was some off-the-wall, you know, small publisher-type deal. Right. I, would re- I think there's a lot of stories to tell. And I think if they're not going to make any more games, you might as well do something. So why not do that? Another one's kind of a selfish one on my part. Bubble Bobble? Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, no, Arkanoid. No, seriously. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I'm waiting for a good, like, ninja-type series. You know, yeah. I don't think we've really had one, so I'm thinking maybe, like, a, a Ninja Gaiden or Shinobi or something like that. I think it would be really cool. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty awesome. And just want to let you know that if you're a gamer and you're listening to us, we're mentioning, like, things that might not be Nintendo properties. Like, I mentioned Galaga. I know that's Namco. But... I said video game, so calm your shit. <laughs> and they released it on Nintendo, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So, shut up. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, it's the thing with Nintendo is, like, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, a Mario or Kirby or even, really like, Donkey Kong, but, I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, a lot of their properties, I think that would fit well in comics. I think mostly take place in space. I mean, Star Fox would be pretty cool to see and stuff like that. Every page he has to save fucking Slippy and it pisses you off. <laughs> what about a, what about a Contra series? If you want to go the, Ooh, the combat route. Contra would be pretty damn interesting. Because there's a lot of ways you can go with that. And you know that with the Call of Duty thing being really popular and, and, and games Day like SX. that. Yeah. Day mm-hmm. SX, yeah. 
I mean, just seeing that somebody used a spreader and like a few panels, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. And all the all the aliens and stuff that you could put in there, all the bad all the baddies over the, over time. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I'm really waiting for that Paperboy comic to come out though. <laughs> it would have to every cover would have to be a newspaper headline then. <laughs> right? You couldn't do any other cover because to me that's just, I mean, you can't like do a cover of him throwing a a, a paper at the at the old lady that's running it's out like, of the house at him or something. It's like one issue would just be him like having to make his route on time to this one house or this guy's going to cancel his subscription so like he has like race against the clock or it's him crashing into that damn parked car that you never <laughs> see <laughs> a fucking car every oh. time man you're trucking along and all of a sudden it's, it's in the middle of the road how is it in the middle of the road <laughs> yeah that's a fucking safety hazard why did man? you park in the middle of the road yeah why is no safety ticket fucking parking ticket for that Can you imagine if also there was like a duck hunt game or duck hunt comic Everything, every every page is just a dog laughing at you, just being a dick. Exactly. Yeah, you, you hated that dog. Like he's like, laughing. That's the only time I've ever hated a dog. Like he's laughing at you for buying the comics. That's why every page is him with that same fucking giggling. He's, he's laughing at you because the cover price is four ninety nine. <laughs> right. You're such a <laughs> schmuck for buying this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's gonna do it for nerd news this week. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. But come next. We have our interview with Greg Pak. We're heading to Kingsway West next on the Down Nerdy Podcast. This is Brittany Ishibashi from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, we thought this week we'd kick on our magical spurs and grab our mystic swords because it's time to head to Kingsway West in a series that Nick and I were very intrigued by from the start. And we've got the writer this week, Greg Pak. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, anytime. As a matter of fact, if there's one thing I think, and I think Nick would agree with this too, that's hard to find these days, it's a good Western. So I really got that feel from this book when I was reading it and from the unique cast of characters that you have. So what do you think makes a great Western? And was that one of the goals when you were going into writing Kingsway West? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up in Texas and I you know, I was a Boy Scout, so I spent all this time outdoors and, and I was always just really... Uh, drawn into westerns you know what i mean i, I just loved them as i got older I, I, I discovered the anthony Mann, jimmy stewart westerns and and westerns like a little big man and and uh and i you know like i i love the way westerns can tell all kinds of different stories you know it's like any other genre you can come at it from a bunch of different ways and i'm also asian american i'm i'm i and i and so when i found out about the history of chinese in the old west it kind of really blew my mind and it was like and and so for Literally for over two decades now, I've had this dream of doing a story with a Chinese gunslinger in the Old West. I just kind of had this character walk into my head about 25 years ago, and and he never left. And I've just been trying to figure out how to tell a good story with him ever since. I mean, I, I wrote a bunch of screenplays when I was in film school, and uh, and I did some short uh, comics projects, uh, short comic stories that were part of a Western anthology using this character. But uh, finally, I, you know, I kind of fi- figured out uh, how to crack it with, uh, you know, while working at Dark Horse with these uh, great editors at Dark Horse and collaborators like artist Mirko Kolak. And here we are with uh, Kingsway West. I mean, so yeah, I mean, you asked like what makes a great Western? I, you know, like I, I think it's, uh, I mean, Westerns, like I said before, there's a ton of different kinds of stories you can do. But some of the hallmarks, I think, are this, this, this sort of telling a story that takes place on the frontier 
where there's this kind of tension between uh, freedom and civilization, uh, you know, and and this question of like what that means and what mm-hmm. what the costs are of each, and also I think. One of the interesting things about Westerns is that a lot of the old Westerns are racist. You know, I'll just say oh, it. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but a lot of the great Westerns don't shy away from race and the, the, the kind of horrors of racism. Westerns are a great way to explore the diversity of American history and the way this kind of myth of the frontier benefited some and definitely did not benefit others and, and how these different communities in the American West collided with each other or worked together at different times. I think that all of those things were things that really drew me in and compelled me. And those are all part of Kingsway West in the end as well. Greg, one of the many things I love about the series in the the first issue is how you put a fantasy element in there, but you don't let it overpower the Western setting and the vibe of it. What are some things that can cause an element like fantasy to overpower those things in a book or series? Well, I... uh, I, this is kind of a sounds like a digression, but I did improv comedy for years and years and years. And one of the things that I loved about one of the kind of the big principles that I got out of improv comedy was this notion that like all you need is one crazy thing. You know what I mean? It's like right. like you like when you're building a scene. There's always a temptation when you're building a scene in improv. Like somebody, so you know, the scene starts and uh, you, the suggestion you get from the audience is like a location. It's the Antarctic. It's it's uh, the Antarctic, and so you're out there, and and somebody brings up penguins, and so you've got talking penguins in the Antarctic. That's your setup, and then suddenly, you know, that's all you need. You know what I mean? Like you can do a lot just with you know. The talking penguins in the Antarctic, but then right. there's always a huge temptation to suddenly bring in UFOs and Sasquatch, yep. and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and Dean Martin. You know what I mean? And, and you're going to laugh every time you bring in one of those elements. But it's but then by the end of it, it's like, what the heck is this? You know what I mean? Like you, you just have a big mishmash. Um, and so you know, when I was looking at Kingsway West. I mean, what I what I originally was working on and what I pitched to Dark Horse was a, it was really just a straight Western. I mean, it was a straight Western with a Chinese gunslinger. And, you know, it's a guy who's searching for his wife. In a lot of ways, it's a very traditional story. It's about a bad man who has given up the gun. You know what I mean? But he's drawn back into this dangerous world because he is desperate to find his wife. And that story, that's just the core of the story. And the challenge... Um, my editor gave Jim Gibbons was the editor at the time, and he was uh, he loved it. He loved the character, he loved the story, but he said, "Is there something more we can you know you can bring to it that'll make it pop?" And I and he really didn't say much more than that, you know. But that was enough to make me think, and I kind of felt it the same way. And it's like, what was that one extra thing? And that one extra thing ended up becoming you know. The, I mean, I, I eventually found myself thinking about fantasy and the way. I loved stuff like Lord of the Rings and Dungeons and Dragons for a lot of the same reasons I loved westerns. You know what I mean? They're big outdoor adventures. They're epic. They're they're uh, they uh, and and they they kind of tend to deal in these frontier uh, lands where you know these kind of lawless areas where you have different groups clashing. And so bringing in that one element of okay, now it's a world with fantasy elements. That was the one extra element. But then I had to do more work just to kind of figure out what that meant because. If that's if that's just what I started with, then then I could end up with just every every other you know every mm-hmm. random fantasy trope under the sun, and why are they all there and what does it all mean? So I narrowed it down. To, I mean, I had to kind of just think through the backstory and figure out like why is why are there fantasy elements here? Like, what's the rationale within the story? And it, it just came down to this notion that 
this is a world where the gold rush happened, but instead of digging up gold, they dug up red gold, which is the source of supernatural phenomena. And then so that becomes the one thing that's different, and everything else stems out of that. But it's still this world of the American Old West, but it's just got this one different thing going on. And that affects a lot of other things. And it took me weeks and weeks and weeks and months to figure this out. <laughs> but what, you know, when, when I kind of narrowed it down and kind of figured out, like, oh, okay, this is what causes it, then in my own head I was able to wrap my head around the whole thing and, and have all those elements make sense. You know what I mean? So it doesn't, it, it's not the kind of thing where an infinite amount of possibilities overwhelm the story. It becomes a thing where this one different thing helps to set the stage for the story. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you talk about the title character, Kingsway Law. And in the first issue, we kind of get to see a lot of sides of his character. And it seems like his ebbs and flows are always a callback to his experiences in the 13 Years' War. So since this is only a four-issue limited series, are we going to be able to get a little more backstory on his, on his experiences in the war and immediately after with the Freelanders? Yes. I'm, uh, I, we definitely are going to – you'll see some of that in issue two. In fact, today, this very day, we're finishing up issue two. Issue one comes out tomorrow. Issue two goes to the press this week. So it's always uh, we've always got multiple things in our heads at the same time here. But yeah, in issue two, we we you'll you'll definitely see get more of that uh, information about what happened back then, and we'll learn more about both his past and Sonia's past, uh, his wife's past, uh, and how it colors the the present. It's always tricky with a. I mean, my other big challenge with a story like this is that you know. Lots of times you just want to start the story at the beginning, right? But our char- our character's real arc here begins with this moment when he really starts. He starts as this old, this older gunslinger who has given up this violent life, you know. what I mean, and, and then getting pulled back into it. That's the moment where the story starts. So, so there's this way in which I'm. Uh, I had to kind of figure out how to keep that real time drama in the forefront while also giving you enough context about his background and showing you enough glimpses of his background so that you get it. But, uh, but it's a kind of, you know, like it's a, um, it's a challenge because there's a little bit of jumping around in time. There's a little bit of flashback stuff. And then there's just a lot of kind of subtle moments where I'm hinting at stuff through dialogue. I'm trying not to over explain. I want it to be the kind of thing where folks are kind of, uh, where the story stays one, uh, you know, hopefully stays one step ahead of uh, readers, so that readers are always, you know, eager for that next bit of information, you know, and and are having fun kind of puzzling it out through this terse dialogue, you know. So that's the that's kind of the challenge I set for myself, and I hope it's working. It is. But, I think it is. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 working really really well, Greg. Uh, yeah. In fact, a person we hear about in the first issue, but we don't really see, is the Chinese Queen of the Golden City. Yeah. So. As James says, it's a four-part limited series. Will we get to see some of the things that separate her from other forms of royalty we've seen in literature so far? Well, I, you know, I don't want to spoil that yet. You're going to find out more about what she's all about and what her soldiers are all about. But mm-hmm. I, I don't want to spoil too much there yet. Um, there are also other communities in the in in this uh, in this world. One is revealed in the last couple of pages, and then there's there's another another one that we're going to find out more about as the thing goes on. So. Yeah, the world is, uh, it's a pretty, uh, there's a lot of different groups vying for power in this world. And, uh, and so, uh, so we'll find out about them at different points in the story. And, you know, and my real, you know, I definitely have a huge hope that the book does well enough that we're able to do a, uh, a second volume. Uh, you know, that's, that's definitely on the, uh, on the table as a big possibility if we can keep the numbers up. So knock on wood, it's, uh, the, these four issues in this four issue mini are, 
definitely going to be, you know, a big satisfying single story that you can read and totally be satisfied with. But I got to say, as a writer, just working on this, I, I, I see so many opportunities to do more and, and to, you know, take next steps with a lot of in this world. Uh, so I'm really hoping we, uh, we get a shot at doing more. Which is why you should get your hands on issue one this week, by the way. We're talking to writer Greg Pak of Kingsway West. Of course, don't forget issue two is well going to be available on September the 21st. Now, Greg, we've been talking about the old West a lot. Now, if you had your Doc Brown moment from Back to the Future and you found yourself stuck in the Old West, what job do you think you would have and what magical power do you think would be most useful? <laughs> um, I would probably, you know, I got bad eyes. Uh, I don't know how good their uh, progressive lenses were back then. <laughs> You're going to have the Coke bottles. Exactly. I would very likely not be a gunslinger. Um, I would probably be the, uh, the, uh, I'd, I'd probably be the newspaper person. I'd be the, the, the poor sap working in the newspaper office, uh, or the telegraph guy. You know what I mean? Like the nervous telegraph guy who <laughs> get off the train and desperately telegraphing people about it. Yeah. I would, I would have a sad, you know, uh, you know, a sad nerd job as, uh, as befits my nerdly status. Um, but <laughs> what, what superpower or what magical, what, power? magical power? Yeah. Yeah. Well, flight would be excellent uh, in this world because this is a world where there is no flight unless you've, you know, managed to, well, I guess, I guess in the, when was the first time hot air balloons showed up? Probably in the late 19th century, but they're not like everywhere, right? So people can't fly around. So flight would be, in, in a world where you might get chased, being able to fly would be an outstanding, an outstanding skill. I imagine also, uh, just imperviousness to bullets. That's always handy in a world where there is extreme violence, but uh, particularly in the Old West where bullets are about – well, no, there's dynamite too, I guess, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, get, you can get blowed up. But uh, yeah, no, I, I would say uh, I think flight would be, would, be, uh, would be key. The other, you know, the other might be uh, telepathy of some kind um, because, uh, you know, you've got telegraph lines, but, you know, nobody's got a cell phone. So, uh, you know, if you want to try to communicate with your allies over long distances, telepathy would give you a huge advantage over other folks. Oh, yeah. And uh, also, Greg, just uh, some information for you. The first hot air balloon flight was in September of 1783. Oh, okay. I would not be getting on in a hot air balloon in 1783. That's I, just not happening. I was about 100 years off there. That's pretty, uh, pretty. Where was that? Well, actually, it was developed in France, and then it took place. Actually, the first flight was October, so it was the following month. Wow. It was in uh, uh, Anonay, Ardici, France. Okay, okay. You mentioned earlier, Greg, red gold. And that's something, as you said, you know, something people covet in the series. So if you had an unlimited amount of red gold, or you could have the most valuable comic book in history, in perfect condition, 10 out of 10 graded, which would you choose and why? Oh, red gold, for sure. For really? Sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, like, I love comics, but I'm not, and I collect, but I'm not a... Um, I'm not like a CGC mint condition guy. This coming from a guy, too, let's point this out, that actually has written action comics. Let's <laughs> yes, keep that in mind. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You know, I've got all the comics I had as a kid. They're all in their Mylar bags and everything. But I, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not an obsessive collector like that. Like, there's, there's, <laughs> no, no, you know what I mean? So yeah, no, yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. If I, had, if I had the ability to get something that would let me do magic stuff, I would absolutely jump on that. Also, because, you know, presumably if I were smart enough, I could... 
I could I could magic up some uh, some some mint condition comics if I need if I really oh, want that's to. true loophole or, <laughs> or or parlay that into uh, enough money to buy whatever comics I would want. So there you go. Yeah, I'm all over the red gold. He always finds a way. <laughs> Matter of fact, Greg, towards the end of this issue, we're trying to tiptoe into spoiler territory here. Uh-huh. We get a look at one of the very dangerous trackers the Kingsway yes. is going to likely face off with. So, again, trying to avoid any spoilers if we can here. What other creations do you think we're going to see cross his path, and what can readers expect going forward? With that? Well, you're going the the story uh, opens on the West Coast, on the far West Coast, mostly in California and uh, and areas just to the east of California. So we don't really know what's going on further east just yet. But by the end of the story, we do find out more about what's going on on the East Coast, and uh, and, and so uh, and, and and whatever is over there is coming west. So you're going to find out a lot more about that. As the story continues, um, the story takes place uh, after what would have been the Civil War in uh, in our world. So there is a version of that in this world, uh, but exactly how it plays out is uh, a little different. And uh, and what you will see uh, at the in the last couple of pages of this issue give you a little bit of an indication of how it might be different. But yeah, so uh, don't you dare miss it. And Greg, before I let you go, man, where can people find you on social media? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I've got a website, and I Greg, it's just gregpak.com, G-R-E-G-P-A-K.com, so you can check that out. But also, I am uh, I'm Greg Pak on the Twitter machine. That's G-R-E-G-P-A-K. And I'm Greg Pak Picks, uh, which is just Greg Pak plus P-I-X on Instagram. Excellent. You guys need to grab issue one of Kingsway West. Seriously, get it to your local shops or digitally. Issue two, by the way, because you're going to want to tell me you're going to want that as well. Issue yeah. two, available on September the 21st. Greg Pock, thank you so much for joining us this week to talk Kingsway West. Thanks a lot, you guys. You guys are awesome. Oh, yeah, one other really quick thing. Uh, if you uh, like what you hear, you can also go to kingswaywest.com. And uh, there's a nifty little pre-order form there. So Ooh, you, there you go. You can go and find your local shop and, uh, and say how many copies you want and pre-order these books there, too. Absolutely. Guys, go do that. Thank you very much, Greg. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. So, James, I can't stop thinking about Dean Martin dressed as a Sasquatch flying a UFO towards a group of angry penguins. I know, right? He's in a, hey, what you doing there, mutant polar bear? <laughs> he's, all, he's got like a you know, like whiskey or scotch. Exactly. That, that shallow glass. <laughs> That's frozen because he's in the Arctic now. Then, like, months later, he's at a roast and, like, they're roasting him, you know, flying, his pl- flying a UFO and everything else like that. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> uh, I'm just picturing Don Rickles dressed as a penguin. But, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that is a scary and accurate thought. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this guy; he's flying a fucking UFO like a fucking. <laughs> this is drunk Italian over here, but You're parked anyway. in my spot. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, man, that conversation with Greg Pock. Just so intriguing and fascinating because Kingsway West, it's really, you know, I talked to them and we told, I told him this off mic. I said, you know, he just really captured everything about the West perfectly. I'm a huge fan. My grandfather, you know, lived in Colorado, you know, had horses, had a ranch, everything like that. And just to, to see that kind of feel be brought in and kept, you know, with the fancy element, how the fancy element doesn't overshadow it. 
It's very fascinating, and I I really hope that this becomes an ongoing series or a series where it's like a, a series of like four issue stuff where each volume per se mm-hmm. looks at like a different tribe or a different group of people individually. You know, I'll be honest, man. Anytime I see anything Western. I go into it very hesitantly because I'm a big fan of westerns, but I, I never seem to find a good one. Like I think Unforgiven's the last like gold standard of like recent westerns and stuff like that. And what's funny is, is I kind of got a uh, Unforgiven cleanest Clint Eastwood vibe, like an Asian American version of that from Kingsway Law in this book, kind of right off the bat. And I'm like, this is really interesting. And then you add the mystical elements, like, and I think you hit the nail right on the head. It doesn't overpower it. And that was the other thing I was worried about. It's just this perfect meld of all these things together. And I think that's what makes this such a great book. And I love what Greg did. Exactly. And of course, hit up Greg on the Twitter. Tell him how great you love Kingsway West, which of course, first issue is available. It's out this week. Also, don't forget, issue two comes out in September, the 21st of September, that is. And that's going to do it for us here at the Dominary Podcast. And thanks to the wonderful and talented artist, Greg Pock. Remember, go get Kingsway West. Hey, if you want to hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash downnerdy. I'm also on Twitter at MerkWithOneArm. We're also on Twitter as well at downandnerdy757. James. I'm at James Ace with them. And you can always get all this info, by the way, at downandnerdypodcast.com. We'll have... Links, of course, to kingswaywest.com up there as well, so you can go check out all that stuff. If you want to buy the issues directly from our Amazon store, safe and secure digitally, you could do that on there as well. Go to the This Week section. Not only will you see everything that's going on with the show, but you scroll down to the bottom, you can get the issues right there, down in nerdypodcast.com. And as always, press safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.